welcome to another episode of the Chatterbox Video Game Radio Show. I am Alon. Cox is horrible, and they're horrible people, and... And this is Ara. <sighs> yeah. We he just, hates the Cox. I, ca- I can't resist. Yeah, I hate the Cox. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, because I, I had an incident with them just last week where I canceled my service. Yeah, I'm, uh, ti- I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. And I just wanted to I just wanted to say that. So they're they're the worst um everything in the whole everything. And is that just because they raise prices? No, I'm not gonna get into it because we have better things to talk about, but it is worth just asserting that um pick your insult. Okay. Good. Well oh, because un- they deserve all of them and un- all the worst ones. Unfortunately, I just came back from a trip to Denver so we could scope out places to live and whatever and we found a house and and that's great, except when I move to Denver, I'm going to be subjected to something worse than Cox, and that is Comcast. So that's a bummer. But at least they have helpful Twitter support, and maybe they'll they'll bend over to help me if I have a problem. Anyway. Well, somehow I feel like everybody else is doing the bending over. But yeah. so, let's move on from that and not spend too much time. So just before we started this episode, you told me that you're mad at Cox and that now your internet speed is very slow because you you changed your plan to something less than it was before. Yeah, because I refuse to be taken advantage of. Yeah. And but, if I'm going to be taken advantage of, it's going to be in the smallest way legally possible. But you also said that you downloaded five gigs of the Strider demo. Oh, yeah. How long did it take you to download those five gigs? Overnight. It was about seven or eight hours. Okay. Yeah. You Which, know, some it, people know the difference between a megabyte and a megabit. Supervisors at Comcast do not have that information. Oh, seriously? Oh, seriously. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, it's hilarious if it's not happening to you. Yeah. It's hilarious when you find out that you have eight times less than what you thought you were getting. But let's move on as hard as it is to do and as fun as it is to... Okay. Anyway. Yeah, Strider. So this was a big shock to me because I didn't know this was coming out. And the funny thing is... Oh, I totally did. But that's because I follow Double, Heat it, Double Helix because of Killer Instinct. Yeah. So, of course, when a redo game like this comes out, I guess we have to say that Strider was originally a old Capcom arcade game that ended up on the Genesis at some point. Yes. And I, wasn't there also... Strider for the NES, but it was a totally different game. Yeah, it was. You know, it's funny because the NES one actually is a lot more like this one uh, in terms of traversal. Really? Yeah, because arcade game was just uh, just a battery of linear stages, and this is kind of Metroidish. This one is kind of Metroidish, and the other one was kind of Metroidish too. And the, the Nintendo one, I mean, it was it was pretty buggy. It was pretty sloppy, rough around the edges. But um, there's just something about Strider that is so cool. I think it's because he has a really cool sword and it can swing very quickly. Yeah. Well, the whole thing, the whole thing is like super cool. The whole character design, the sword thing, the weird police baton thing coming out of the side of the sword. The uh, he's got a cool costume. He flies into Kazakhstan all the time, which is really awesome. He's one of eight different video game characters that look uh, like Ryu and are <laughs> named Ryu. <laughs> yeah, that's totally true. That is his name, right? I'm not confusing that with something else. Um, oh, Stry- it, no, his name is Strider Heryu, actually. Is it? Yeah. Ah, oh, damn. Not Rot Ryu. But it ends with you, so in, you're in 50% ni- right. In Ninja Gaiden, right? His name is, is Ru or Ryu or yeah. Ro or whatever yeah. people Okay, want I want to get something straight. Yeah. Okay. Ru has never been a pronunciation. My... I know, I know. What, My I know, friends I know. who know the whatevers, know. those languages are like, no, dude, it's Ryu. I know, it's because they say Ryu. Okay. Okay? And they go, with, they go really quick over the U. But there's a U in there. Okay. Well, I guess I was wrong. Strider's not named Ryu. <laughs> <laughs> but let me tell you, I've been a fan of Kazakhstan ever since 1998. Was that when you made Red Star? No, that's when I'm guessing Strider came out in the arcade. Oh, no, it was way earlier than that. Okay. Were you nuts? We're going to find out who's right after the break. Yeah. Way earlier than 98. Earlier than 98? I'm going to guess it was 88. I would actually go with 89 if I Hmm. Maybe 92. All right. Anyway, well, we'll see who's right later. Uh, So, okay, so I find myself in a really funny spot because 
when I see a redo of a game, I'm bracing myself for the worst. When I see a redo of a game by a developer that's completely unrelated to the original developers, I'm bracing myself for something even worse than that. Yeah. Although they did a pretty formidable job with Killer Instinct. I mean, it's got its problems. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, that's not my cup of tea. So, I, I mean... Yeah, but I mean, it's it's been... Everyone was scared, like, fearing the worst for Killer Instinct. It came out and then everyone's like, eh, it's not bad. It's not yeah. Bad. I mean, it's not... It's not really fantastic, but it's pretty darn good. And actually, this is this is my assessment so far of what we've played today for what, like I don't know, half an hour or so. Yeah, I uh, enjoy it. Whether whether I can dissect it and say it was good from like Roger Ebert standards, I don't know. But I just I enjoyed going through and playing it. And the boss I got to, who I died on twice, yeah. proves to me that they're not giving me something that's so easy I can just cruise through. Yeah. No, it's pretty it's pretty good. One thing that I really appreciate, which seems to be in short supply these days. Is that the levels are actually designed. And they're reasonably designed, at least. I mean, I, for I the found most part. level design to be pretty minimal. Well, right. But this is compared to what we're uh, normally dealing with. Like, uh, I don't even want to get into the other comparisons. But um, there's actually some design to the levels, which is cool. Now, the big problem I had which I've had with other games that are kind of like this, where it's uh, 3D rendered games. It's This seems to only have... I'm trying to figure out what this problem is. It's when you press the jump button and the guy doesn't jump immediately. And and I was like, this feels off, and I, and I asked you to try it, right? It is. It's, it's slow. You can get used to it. It's not as bad as Sonic was. It, you're right. It's not that bad. But now I'm starting to think, okay, what is what is really the problem here? Because... We know that the TVs that we use these days have some kind of latency in them. That's not it. I don't. I really don't think it's it because I play other games that don't have this problem and they're in, immediately responsive. And the one, the main thing I was upset about, and this is funny because when you saw the bullets, you were like, "These bullets are really slow." The bullets that are fired at you that you have to dodge. And then when I saw them, I'm like, "They should be twice as slow as they are." Yeah. Well. There's different parts of the game. You were very early on when all you had to do is jump over the bullet. But, like, you were playing it like a different kind of game. I, I feel like, and who knows, but I, I feel like this game was meant to be almost played by Sonic, where you're, like, running through really fast. You're killing guys as fast as you can. And it's it's trying to compel you to not think as much or to think more quickly. You were playing it very defensive, like, walk up, see a character, figure out what you're going to do. Meanwhile, right. he shoots, right? right? And you have to dodge it. it. It seems to be that way. And and I think that that's actually a worse design because basically what it means is that you're the, – like, the, the enemies that shoot at you, they don't really have any telegraphs. There's a muzzle flash. That's not a legitimate telegraph. So you don't know – you don't know when they're going to shoot until you've seen them shoot and then they have a rhythm to it. So you can kind of gauge when you can get in and – but the problem is, is that that rhythm plus your character's high speed plus the speed of the bullets, which is um, it's dodgeable, but it's like I said, it could be much slower still. It would be easier to dodge if your jump went immediately when you press the button. And then there's that issue, <laughs> right? And that exact, and all these things taken together result in a kind of game that feels like, just like you said, yeah, you have to. It's a kind of game. It seems like where. It's like you get get at the enemy and kill them before they get at before they shoot at you. Yeah, but that and, doesn't work well when you've got a game a level that is designed where it's like this is the optimal path, but you can't even dissect it in your brain fast enough to figure out what it is. Yeah, but that's I think that's what it's trying to train you to do. And you saw a part where I went. You can traverse like up, down, left, right because you can climb walls, right? So I climbed up, and so the screen sort of shifts in, in pieces of screen like Metroid does, but it's a yeah. little bit more fluid than that. Yeah. And so I went up, and if I was doing it quickly, like if I knew what was there ahead of time because I'd played it before, which in this case I had, um, and I was prepared for it, I could go up and like kill the guy that's immediately on the floor that I climbed to and then jump very quickly up to this floating platform to kill the guy above that. Meanwhile, if you wait only two seconds because you're trying to figure out what's going on, you know, guys on the left and right are shooting you with spread fire that you can't really dodge realistically. Yeah, if you hesitate, the situation gets much worse. Yeah, and, and that's what... So that's why I say this game is trying to push you to not stop yeah. ever and like until you but, clear a screen. But that's no good because the kind of behavior that that forces you to the, – the kind of play style that that forces you to have is super trial and error 
right? Act first and find out what you did wrong later. Um, and I don't think it's just, the, I don't think it's a satisfying way to learn a game, actually. Well, I don't want to argue that it's good or bad. And I think the more, I think it's just different than maybe what you like. And the more you play, the more capable you are of, of figuring out those scenarios yeah, but here, very quickly. Here's and the that difference. is interesting. Here's the difference. And here's why I'm, I'm actually making a value judgment here is because if you do it the speed way, basically what that means is go as fast as possible. Okay, I died. Okay, try again, right? You don't do any, you do very little reading of the situation before you react to it. And so you have to fail many times before you're successful. Um, so I would argue against that, and here's why. And I, I, I'm not intentionally creating some cyclical argument, but uh, you play a lot of different, at least in the beginning, the demo that we were playing, right? It's early on in the game. The guys are easy to destroy. Like two hits, two slices, and they're down. And you can slice very quickly, so it's easy to get them yeah, as you're not, just running through them. They're not easy enough. Yeah. Um, and so you come across very similar situations repeatedly. In addition, it's really hard to die in this game. The only time I ever died was when I get, went to the boss who takes literally about 100 slices to kill. Right. So you have a lot of time with this one guy to think through how you're going to fight him and still get hit because you know, you're not good enough. So then you're forced to play through some of the level again, and yeah, you see the same bits over and over, but it's not like you screw it up, you get shot, you die, and you go back, and you get shot, you die, and you go back. It's not like that. It's well, more they, like you see this level. Well, they had to do that, though, right? This is, see, what I would have done is smaller health bar and give you more facility to actually maneuver, and I always think that's better, but that's my thing. But it's clear to me that they're trying to make a really like a run and gun type of scenario, which yeah, is exciting to some extent. Well, to some extent. As exciting as it is to not be able to see what's in front of you. Chatterboxers. How much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. All right, we're back. It's Chatterbox Video Game Radio. And I think this is a good explanation of why we why we put commercial breaks in. Because we could have gone talking about Strider for just 45 minutes straight. Um, but this cuts us off. Well, it certainly, yes, it keeps us from getting a little too hot, I guess. Yeah. Now, during the break, we forgot to check when Strider comes out. But I will do that, or when it came out, while you explain uh, what the next, sort of the next podcast for Chatterbox is going to be. Yeah. So you may or may not notice that there's going to be another episode coming on down uh, very shortly after this one. And it has my name on it. And it's a recording it's an audio recording of the talk I gave in November called Deconstructing Free-to-Play. And I just spent the past month, actually, going through the recording of the entire talk and manually taking out all the scratches and the pops and all this, all the garbage that makes it hard to listen to. So if you've, if you've tried to listen to it, because we've mentioned this before, it, there's a YouTube somewhere uh, which has the video, too. And if you got pissed off and upset because of the ear raping, scratching noises in the recording. Now those have been removed, so it'll be much more pleasant to listen to. And it's really long. It's about an hour and 45 minutes, give or take. The last about half an hour is just me doing question and answer. And this is where I just I talk about the dynamics of free-to-play games and what they're doing that people aren't really talking about. And this goes far beyond the typical stuff you've heard about what free-to-play games do. 
This yeah. goes much, much deeper, and it goes into much more subtleties, and I think it's really fascinating, so you should listen to it. It goes ridiculously deep. So uh, it's if you're really, really into that stuff, listen. Um, we, I know we mentioned on the show months ago when, when you were doing the talk that we were going to to post it yeah so now yeah. it's now it's, it's finally realized yeah so uh it'll be the the next episode in the list it won't have a show number or anything but but that's what it is yeah let me let me say one more thing about it if you've ever played free to game free to play games and you've felt like you've been treated unfairly you'll want to listen to this yeah uh i gotta say though it is better with the visuals it is um, better because there's a lot of you know charts and and pictures and whatever that's true but so, this way you can you know listen in your car listen yeah. on your commute you don't have to watch anything you can just use your imagination exactly and we can fix the audio in your youtube video if you want anyway um i looked it up i looked up the strider release date yeah. and do you remember what i said i said 88 and then i said well i'd really say 89 if i had to okay think about it it was uh arcade version arcade release date march 7th 1989 you are according to wikipedia you know what? I'll buy that. You have a better memory than I do. Yeah. Um, it was more like just the look of the game. Yeah. And, I, and it was more like there's about a 10-year span in my history that has just completely disappeared. Yeah. So It's just like it wasn't 3D. It wasn't, I don't know. I felt like I was about 10 years old when that happened. And that's, yeah. 90s is when you start getting like well, it PCs. Was, monitors and stuff it was gen it was it was actually a little better or around the level of technology that the genesis had and what was that 92 genesis uh i think super nintendo was 91 or 92 and genesis came out like a year earlier i think okay so about 90 yeah so that totally makes sense yeah. for it to come out in 89 you said yep strider hear you just like you said Okay. Well, anyway, yeah, mystery so solved. He has he has the he has the same name. He has Ryu, but with he in front of it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so it's even better. All right. So there's a lot of other stuff we want to talk about that isn't Strider. Um, we we each have stuff relating to Nintendo. Do, wait, where did we say we wanted to go this episode? You want to do something else first? Before yeah, we do let me just do Nintendo. this little snippet here. So okay. I found out something. I had some insight into. You know, you all know how poorly designed the PlayStation Store, the PSN Store interface is. I know I do. Yeah. I, I think it's pretty much uh, a broad consensus that it's a, it's a horrendous maze to navigate through and figure out what's new, what's here now that I'm interested in that was not there last time. And this is... Okay. So I'll just tell you what happened. I noticed something new that gave me some insight. And this is when I was downloading Strider demo. Okay. So there's another game. Every week, a bunch of new PSN games come online, right? Could be zero, could be one, could be a couple. And you may remember that I was really upset at how they changed the demos listing from basically everything that was new or at least new that week, to this really abysmal uh, four or five pane list where you can only see about four or five items on it. And if those aren't the ones, if you, if you really want to see the new stuff, if you want to see a uh, complete list of what's new or things in chronological order, the newest stuff, you have to go to the all the way to the end of that list, uh, pick a menu option that makes no sense. It's called uh, demos by title. And then once you go in there, you have to find the setting that uh, refilters the list to newest stuff first. That's a lot of things to ask for for somebody, especially when it is not a rational, logical progression of things to go to. And I was... I mean, you, you've heard my complaints about this. And I was always mystified as to, well, why is this happening? Why, why did they do it this way? Because this is obviously worse. And then I noticed for the first time that, well, okay, there's a couple new games the last time I checked. One of them is Strider. Strider's on that four or five pane 
top billing list that gets high visibility. And then I was like, well, what else is new? Because I always go and check that other list because I'm, I don't trust them. And then I go in there and then I'm like, well, what's this? Uh, there's every game on here is in the same, is basically in the same uh, list as that top billing high visibility list that I just told you about, except this other one, which was uh, just almost as new as her as Strider. Okay. And it's a game called Forest Legends, The Call of Love. Okay. I've never heard of that game. Neither have I. It doesn't look like a game I'd be into. My visceral reaction is this looks like crap. It's okay. something about forbidden love in a forest and some barely passable art. And anyway, I don't want to spend I don't want to spend the time criticizing the people who made this game because here's the problem. That game is one of the newest demos and it's not in the list that you would think to see the newest demos. And that made me think, aha, you know what they're doing here. What they can do with this, and I think that they are doing with this, is when you put a game on PSN, now they can say, hey, you know what? If you want extra exposure, we either have to like you enough or you have to pay for it. Yeah, that, I, I don't know why that seems surprising to you. I'm not, it's, it's not surprising, it's upsetting. Because here's the problem, is that it's, they're, they're cannibalizing their own stuff, and they've, they've made a structure where they've created a premium high-visibility location and an exceptionally low-visibility location. If your demo is buried in that list that's not in the top section, you're screwed. These people who made this game, however much it's not my thing, Forest Legends, The Call of Love, they're just screwed. Nobody is going to download their game because nobody knows it's even there because nobody except for me and maybe three other people do this thing of actually checking the real list. And so Sony's created this artificial hierarchy of visibility. This is super lame. Um, yeah, but I mean, there's if, if you look at the, the Microsoft Blades or whatever, they it's not Blades yeah. anymore, but their tile system, there's always been like marketing sections like here, play this game and... Well, that's one thing. See, but that doesn't take away from other lists. This is what they've done is they've literally, there's like first class citizen games and second class citizen games. And you will never see the second class citizen games unless you're very careful and you're very, you spend the time to study the structure of the store and explore it to its fullest extent, which I will say almost everybody does not have the wherewithal to do. Yeah. I mean, this is is just another and, and what is like a long sequence of our talks about how uh, digital shopping is a giant pain in the ass. And I, that's why I, every time I imagine the best solution in my head, yeah. it is something that very closely mimics the real world where you've got like graphics of racks and games sitting on those racks and you can actually walk through them and then you could sort them differently. You'd be like, all right, I want to sort by new release. I want to sort by price or whatever. Yeah. And maybe the game's all like in some visually stupid appealing way, flip around on the racks, right? But I want to be able to see a lot of stuff at once and I want to be able to zoom in on the stuff that I want to look at and I want to sort it properly. Yeah, and they don't want you to do that and I think they're actually cannibalizing their own sales because being able to see that Forest Legends The Call of Love is one of the new games does not detract from your ability to see what else is new. They've created artificially this separation and this difference. Yeah, if, if... I'm fine with having like a secondary, some sort of like advertising area where it's like, here's the games we want yeah. you to see, and here's the ones that are actually most popular, getting the most purchases. Right, and um, that's that's one thing, and that can be done, I think, in a way that's fine. That doesn't have problems. The problem with this is that they've turned it on its head. They've made the advertising section the only section you see. Yeah. Well, we don't actually know that it's advertising, right? Well, it's advertising. That's what it is. It's advertising. Well, you even said the game looks like crap, so maybe they're hiding that particular one on purpose. But here's the thing. I can easily see myself in a situation that if I was making a PSN game, if I got that deal, that is a death sentence of sales. That's the problem. Yeah. And and because it's digital, you don't have to... It's like they don't have to make that sacrifice, but they're forcing that sacrifice... Um, for whatever reason, look, if it's not good enough to put on your front page, then why is it there? You mean why make, why make the game? Why? Yes. Not why make the game. Why, why would Sony accept 
Oh, that I... the submission in the first place, if it's not good enough. Oh. Well, they're being friendly to Indies. The quote-unquote <laughs> friendly, with that's not really friendly. To Chatterbox Video Game Radio. It's a number one. Woohoo! All right, we are back, and uh, I think it's time to talk about Nintendo a little bit. What I. This is actually something I wanted to bring up, I think last week where I had like right before the show I was in a Target and uh, I decided you know I'm going to check out I'm going to look at the Wii U games and see just how many even exist because I I try to think back over the year and a half that it's been around and I can only recall like five games coming out that I even had vague vague interest in and so when I went well that's more than me for any console right well it's. I mean, there's like Rayman Legends and Super Mario 3D World. Um, it's pretty good. Those are pretty good. Yep. I know I'm going to want Mario Kart when it comes out in a couple months. Yeah. Donkey Kong Country. Apparently, actually, people are saying good things. We'll probably pick that up. Uh, by the way, you know, other than Rayman Legends, the only thing I ever want on a Nintendo system is Nintendo, which is kind of sad. Um, but I went and I, I checked out just to see what games do they even have to sell, right? Because, you know, you go to GameStop, and GameStop would have been a better... I think, representation of this. But you go to a GameStop and you look at stuff for the Xbox 360. Like, how many different games do you think technically are available on disc for the 360? It's it just at any one store, right? So they're not going to have every game. But they're probably going to have hundreds available. Hundreds. And, I mean, obviously it's a lot older than the Wii U. But I looked at the rack, and I think there were literally 21 or 22 games that you could buy for the Wii U. And the vast majority of them are things that I've either never heard of or have zero, zero interest in. Um, you know what's funny? That's It sounds like it's one of those compounding effect things, right? Or those catch-22 things where the system's not big yet, so they don't get a lot of shelf space. So it, it can't grow because they aren't getting a lot of shelf space in the retail part. Yeah, absolutely. And, and this isn't anything new, right? We've talked about it before, but it's just... <clears throat> we, rather, we've talked about how Nintendo failed to get market, and so nobody makes games for them. And of course, if they don't make games, then no one's going to sell the games. Um, so it's it's kind of like you said, catch twenty two. But but still, like nothing. It's it's so bad. The condition is is worse than I thought. Um, and I and I look towards the future for games on the system and it's literally only nintendo games like the only games i know of that are coming out this year that i have any interest in are the two that i just mentioned right there seems to be just came out seems to be a real problem with companies that are not nintendo making games on nintendo that are actually good yeah it's a shame and even when they do it's it's only kind of good compared to nintendo's games that are similar right so somebody else will make a platform and it's like yeah it's good but i don't know you know it's no mario Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> and great game. Like I looked at the top ten on Metacritic just now, and in the top ten, there's still Assassin's Creed Three, right, which came out at the Wii U launch over a year ago. I think it came out with the launch anyway, right. And you would think that they would have come up with things that are better since then, uh, or things that at least compete a little bit. But there's a bunch of stuff like Need for Speed Most Wanted You or something like that is like number seven in the list. And it's uh, or something around that number. So nothing is coming out for the system. And it's just, I don't know. It, it's me saying the same frustration, saying that I have the same frustration as I've had for a year now, that there's nothing for the system. You know what? I'm going to put a hypothesis <laughs> out there. And I think this will explain something about the Wii U and the Wii markets. And actually, every market that Nintendo has created where the console itself has significant special features or aspects that must be developed for that are not common to the other platforms. I think that that fact 
is something that is affecting this result. Yeah, probably. Right? Because you've got to be able to release on multiple consoles in order to be successful, right? These days, you have to make all your money back on, on development. And if well, you only release it on one console... That's one thing. The other part of it is that because Nintendo has all this special stuff, right? So on the Wii U, it's that second screen and so on. Um, you've heard me say many times before that developers have no time. You now you have no time to do what you need to do. And so I think this is another case of, well, if you have no time to do what you need to do without the special Nintendo aspects of the product, then you certainly have no time to work on that part of it. Yeah, well, that's why there need to be games that are focused around that element. And it's what we've talked about before. They need but, to... But here's the problem, is that even if you make a game focused around it, I think that it's, it's, it's a big enough hurdle for developers that are already stressed with resources as it is to make a difference. Well, no, I mean, if, if you go from the outset saying, we're going to make a Wii U game that takes good advantage of this, then, you know, it'll, it'll turn out well and they'll invest the time because that's the plan. But when there's no market of people who will buy that game because no would, you know, none of the systems were sold, then they're not going to make it. So the only thing you see is the stuff from Nintendo and the stuff from somebody else who was able to just jerry-rig a game made for something else, stick it on there. Which is why you see no interesting features for the Wii U uh, pad, game pad or whatever it is, right. um, from anybody but Nintendo because they're the only ones concentrating on purely Nintendo games. And that's Again, why I said before that Nintendo needs to come out of the gate and make it interesting, and they should have done something to compel purchasing of the system other than just a year advantage on people. Yeah, they he, needed to here's like... another economic problem. <clears throat> if you're a developer and you're choosing what to develop for, well, if you develop on a so-called more conventional platform, then it's easier to port because you're doing conventional things. But if you say, okay, I'm going to release, I'm going to make a game, like you said, right from the start, that's designed for the specific Nintendo Wii U interface and take advantage of all that it has to offer, guess what other platforms you're porting that to? Yeah, nothing. Yeah. Well, maybe the 3DS, but... Uh, <laughs> that's about it. If, if, and, and, yeah, and if you're lucky. Yeah. And probably not anyway. All right, this is basically just the same complaint I had before, but I was, I was sadly amused by what I saw at the actual store that... After a year and a half, there were literally 22... I mean, it was less than 25. I think it was 22 games that if I wanted to, I could purchase right there. Yeah. And that was just that was just sad. And on a side note, I hate that on Metacritic, you can't separate digital games from disc-based games. Because it's like, oh, Edge, here's this relatively recent game. Well, you oh, know but what? it's a $2 download. According to Peter Moore, you will not have that problem in two years. Because it'll be all digital? <laughs> yeah. There's another... Uh, thing about Nintendo that really struck me. I saw this news article the other day. And there was this interview with the CEO of Retro, who I guess actually worked, used to work at Nintendo, and another guy who works at Nintendo. And they're talking about the new Donkey Kong Country game. I've Tropical Freeze. Tropical Freeze. That's the one. There's been so many that I've lost track if that's the newest one in a long time or just the new new one and there's another there was a previous one I think there were ago. there were three on like the Super Nintendo and then there was one on the Wii yeah. and now oh. one on the Wii U okay so there's no other one past the Wii one that's yeah that's right there was a Wii one yeah okay so anyway yeah this tropical freeze remember about a year ago we heard about this thing called the super guide uh, yeah that thing where if you don't do well you can opt to just have the game play for you to get through a difficult part. Yeah, and I don't know what your reaction was, but my reaction was, this makes just no sense to me. Why would they think this will work? Well, and this is also very easy to say in light of what I'm about to say, their uh, reaction to the try is. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of it myself, but then... You know, I think did about did you ever use it? I used it just to see what it was. Yeah. Right. And yeah. It, it was in like New Super Mario Bros. U. Um, it might have been in New Super Mario Bros. for the Wii. Yeah. But um, it, it just plays through for you. And actually what's interesting is it plays through for you. I, I can't remember if it does a really good job. I think it does. And so you can learn from it, which is 
kind of an interesting piece to it. Right. That, that was their thing. Like, if you can see how it's supposed to be done, then you can learn how to do it better. Um, except you can just pick up and play from the point except where it's you finished. Can, except you can do that. Right. And here's what they said now after having tried it and after having analyzed uh, the result of their yeah, trial. But technically, this isn't Nintendo. This is Retro. Uh, no, this is like both of them. So, look, Retro is actually, for all it basically, intents okay. and purposes, Nintendo. We did anticipate, because, okay, so they're talking about uh, how hard the game is. And there's a, that's another angle I want to come back to. We did anticipate such opinions that is uh, that the game is too hard, complaints about the game being too hard, because we purposefully kept the difficulty of Donkey Kong Country Returns as high as in the old Donkey Kong Country games. I guess this was the Wii game they're talking about now. Okay. What we did not expect was that not many players would want to use the Super Guide, which we had created as an option for people having trouble with the game. We learned that players want to clear levels by themselves in the end yeah big shocker what's what's also uh important to note about this is that the super guide only comes up when you fail several times and as a user who wants to get better i would be interested in being able to pull that up whenever i want or like having a a guide area outside of the playable game, right? In the, in the menu right. system or something being like, show me how I should do this level. And maybe one that doesn't actually progress you past that point because yeah. that defeats the purpose of the most value that it offers. Doesn't yes. it? In, in my opinion, there's at least what I'm thinking of now, there's like two major components to completing just some game, right? There's figuring out how to do it. And then there's actually executing on that yeah that's right true. so those two things are difficult it's, that's true it's the brain part and then the finger part right which kind of work together well they can come in any combo yeah and and i would ultimately prefer to figure it out on my own and do it on my own but i don't mind trying and failing and then learning from someone else and then doing it and there's there are times when you know i've broken out the youtube video or game facts or something to figure out how to do something um, well, many times the best way to learn is from someone else. That's one reason why one-on-one fighting games are so compelling because you're actually doing that while you're doing yourself at the same time. Yeah, yeah. You're watching other people and trying to kill them at the same time. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't mind learning, but the fact that it only comes up as an indicator that you are failing is uh, – it's difficult for me to conceive. Yeah, that was, like, yeah. that was suboptimal implementation at best. We're, we're, we're going to have to go – we're not done, are we? No, no. We have another yeah. one. Yeah. yeah. When we come back, I want to talk about uh, there's a bigger topic here, and it's about how shallowly almost everybody in this industry seems to regard the concept of difficulty. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. It's Chatterbox, video game radio. We were just talking about the the difficulty or lack of difficulty, depending on the situation. Okay, this uh, is... I'm starting to get tired of this, okay? Because now it's becoming uh, embarrassing. Everybody in this industry, especially in the press, appears to talk about difficulty like it's a single continuum type of thing like it's a one-dimensional thing like you can have more of it and less of it and it has no texture whatsoever apart from that and that is it's such a shallow mischaracterization of it not only has the industry been going this way with their so-called triple a games for the past 10 years by basically doing the most shallow analysis possible oh look people aren't getting through our game oh what are we going to do let's do something to get them through the game Usually it's allow them to save more frequently or something. Usually it's um, it's stupid things. It's shallow things that don't make the game more compelling. This is why the super guide failed. Because they're like, oh, well, they can't get through it. So let's get them through it. Is basically 
the de facto strategy to allow people to progress in games. The problem is, is that's the complete wrong approach. The right approach is you have to make the game a better teacher. The game has to be better at communicating itself to the player. And the way that they've been talking in this interview and the way I hear every time difficulty being discussed is that it's just simply, it's either too hard or it's just right or it's not hard enough. And that's completely disingenuous. That is completely discounting all of the complexity that's involved in you trying to learn how to do something. And I feel like the industry, by and large, is just, <clears throat> they just get this wrong again and again and again and again. So let me ask you this. In, in the case of a platformer yeah. like Donkey Kong, which is like the environment, the level design is – the level design is the game. Right. Right. That's, that's pretty much everything in, there in is In many to it. situations, yeah, that is truly so. So I'm trying to think of how you might effectively change difficulty, so to speak, in a game like that, where, first of all, it's sort of molded around the idea that it is a hard game. Um, but also, like some games, we were talking about Strider earlier and bullet speed. Right. You could make that game easier by slowing down the bullets right. to some degree. Right. You could also make that game easier by, well, they've already done it, giving you more health. Yeah. But that is not an equivalent situation at all. And this is an important <laughs> distinction to understand. You could also change things like how many enemies are on the screen, where they're positioned. Yes. Uh, and so I'm thinking in terms of like a platformer like Donkey Kong, how could you make that easier without completely disrupting the game, which is level design? Here's – that's a great question. And, and Or doing something super cheap like just giving you more health or lives. Or right. So the problem that Donkey Kong has – and this is – this is also a broader problem because this is how something else gets conflated for difficulty and people attribute everything to difficulty because that's the salient, that's the noticeable aspect of it. And here's what it comes down to. Donkey Kong Country has a reputation for being a brutally hard game, not strictly speaking for being brutally hard, but because they do it Battletoads style, which is that you cannot react fast enough many times to what's, what you're faced with unless you've memorized what's coming at you. And you have no or you have insufficient indication to react to it the first time through. So what it ends up being is basically a labor of pure trial and error. Yeah. And people say, because of that, people say, oh, it's hard. And they don't talk about why, what is making it hard. What's making it hard is that the game is not communicating well enough with you to tell you what it's going to do for you to react to it. What makes it hard is that the reality is that you have to fail X amount of times, regardless of how good you are, because that's the only way for you to learn the information to negotiate whatever the game is throwing at you. And the problem is, is that what people liked about Donkey Kong Country is getting to the point of mastery where you can negotiate all those things. The thing that Donkey Kong Country and, and, and Battletoads and that, that rare difficulty style, the problem with it is that it's pure pain to get to that point. Once you get at that point, it's very rewarding. But what you're doing is you're making a gigantic hurdle much bigger than it needs to be for people to learn the things to get to that point of mastery. And... Now, there is a trade-off there where once you get to that point of mastery, you feel even more satisfied than maybe you would have otherwise. Maybe. I'm not really sure of that. But the thing that's happening is that you're leaving all these people behind who can't get to that point of mastery. And so they're thinking, they're like, okay, well, uh, we want to get people up to that point. But what they're doing is that they're, they're getting them up to that point by skipping learning, you see. And so they don't actually feel satisfied playing. And that's why they don't want to the super guide to play for them because it doesn't actually make them any better right because the feeling that is so satisfying about playing a game like that is one where you are approaching mastery or you're you're learning at a fast enough rate to offset the unfairness that the game dishes out at you and people have started to think because this is so commonplace they've started to think that you have to have the pain in order to get to mastery when that's not the case at all. 
Uh, well, I guess it depends on the game, right? Well, look, <laughs> if you exchange pain for effort, I'm kind of using them a little bit interchangeably. You have to put in some effort. But to learn the same thing, there's different ways to go about doing it, right? And some of them take a lot of effort and some of them take less effort to learn the same thing. And in my opinion, good games are the ones that get you there with less effort. Really get you there, not fake get you there with super guide, with getting extra health, with extra lives, etc. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, I'm just trying to think of how... Like, there's there's still a desire to have a different uh, a difficulty rating, right? So, like, people who just aren't as good can go through the game, right? And so, how do you change that without basically trivializing the game? How do you say, okay, this is this is easier to get through for people who are, let's say, just seven years old? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. Maybe you know, do the technique we learned in the '80s called choose your difficulty level. Well, that's what I'm saying. Let you choose, but then how do you design the game differently? It, com- it would completely change the game in the case of something like Donkey Kong. So it, what they do is they resort to the cheesy methods of more energy or you don't go back to the beginning. You get to just sort of continue right where you got hurt, right. which is the same as not having health in the first place. Right. Um, it's, I mean, the d- design is not necessarily easy in that case. Yeah. I mean, what, you, what, you, what I think you really have to do is you have to have enough of a broad range of content in the game. And it's not as hard to do as it seems. Because you can do that by having, say, like discreetly different difficulty levels for the same level. Where people who barely play games, they find a challenging level. And people who play games all the time, well, what's challenging for the the previous group is completely trivial for them. Well, so I can't think of an example right now, but I'm fairly certain I've played games that when you change the difficulty level, you know, prior to playing, um, it actually changes the the level layout that you're presented with right it actually you know moves blocks or adds blocks or, or does something differently in the game because yeah, it's on an easier setting that's i think that's the ideal and elegant way to do that because in that way you're actually feeling like the easy version of a level is a different level than the hard version otherwise if it's just a numerical change which is the quick and dirty way to do it it's not satisfying because you just feel like it's the same. It's just either been nerfed or hardcoreized. Yeah. And it just you don't feel like um, it doesn't feel differentiated to the player. It needs to feel differentiated. So basically my question to you is what do you think the ideal situation is? So in, in the case of a platformer, well, it's it actually the changing the level. You know what I think the ideal situation is? And in the, my, my last game that I designed was, uh, yeah, or one before that, was exactly like this. And this doesn't fit all types of games, but it can fit a lot of types of games. And that is basically a game where, without having different difficulty levels, because that has its own issues, you actually have the ability to make the game harder or easier on yourself by how you play it. And you get a requisite extra reward for doing harder things and you get less reward for doing easier things. So You mean like allowing the person to get through the level in two different ways and picking which one they want? Uh, that is one way to do it. There's tons of ways to do it, but in general, that, that structure uh, I don't think has been explored enough. And you have to c- design very carefully to achieve a structure like that. Yeah. You know, um, I might save this till next week, but uh, there was an article that I was reading just today in Polygon that's from... I guess it came out yesterday. Uh, the article title is The Passion of the Checkpoint, Why Gaming's Most Frustrating Failure is So Hard to Fix. And it just talks about <laughs> yeah, checkpointing should... in games. And Yeah, that's kind of an offshoot of this, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I think you should read this, and I should finish reading it before we talk about it next week. But, yeah, totally. Um, it basically, the guy continually refers to, he uses the phrase bad checkpoints. Right? He calls them bad simply because he wasn't good enough to get through and like therefore had to play you know, 30 minutes of a game over again because it sent him backwards. Yeah. Well, if checkpoints and, are so bad, I mean, you can take them out and not have any. Yeah, well, his <laughs> argument is they should be more frequent or something. And um, but, I mean, it's... it's uh, Right, that's funny. Well, let's not get into it. Let's let's talk about it next time. Yeah, okay, we'll do that. Um, all right, well, we have a minute or two left. What, what we have, have a listener letter, 
And I, I don't have a lot to say, but I have something to say about it. This is the one where, where uh, he was asking about Payday 2? Yeah, and maybe you can even find who it was while I talk about it, because I totally didn't write that down. Yeah. But basically, one of our listeners is asking about, if we talked about Payday 2. We haven't played it, but you, you mentioned something that was really interesting, and I'm just going to read what you said. You said, I love this game even in, even in its broken state, but we paid full price for a game expecting to get patches and DLC. I can go on and on about how I, how we Xbox guys have been possibly ripped off. And you know what the problem is? Is that you've paid full price for something expecting to get something more than what you got right at that second. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they made promises about stuff, that's one thing. Even if they made promises, this is how the game industry works, unfortunately. You will not get what is promised to you because there are so many barriers in the way of that that promise being fulfilled, you should really not assume that you're getting anything more than what you get with the disc. Yeah. This is Otherwise, like, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. You remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about um, Arkham City? Yeah. yeah. It turns out we were actually talking about Arkham Origins, the third in the series, which I think you oh, and I okay. totally forgot even exists. Well, let's not like <laughs> make them hard to differentiate by using the same word in each title or anything. But, uh, I mean, that, that was our mistake. But... You know, that was the same situation where we're like, you know what? We're not going to fix it. We're just going to keep making more stuff. Yeah. Th- this is similar. By the way, his name is Woofer40TX. So yeah. thank you for the letter. Um, I guess we're done. We're done for today. Yep. And next week, maybe we'll talk about checkpoints. We'll definitely uh, talk about checkpoints. Unless we forget, and then we definitely won't. Yeah. Well, uh, feel free to email us. The uh, email address is on our website. Also, we have a Facebook page slash Chatterbox Video Game Radio. You can find us there. And... Um, yeah, that's it. We we await your communication. Good times. We will see you next time. listening to chatterbox video game radio tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming and remember all your base are belong to us